Futures Radio Show, sponsored by CME Group, the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now... Here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for this episode with Adam Webb. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes and YouTube. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Before I play today's interview for you, I want to give a shout out to the great sponsors of Futures Radio Show. CME Group, Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, RJO Futures, and Top Step Trader. To learn more about these sponsors and the important things they are doing for futures traders, be sure to click on their logos on our website. Today, I spoke with the CEO of Macro Hedged, Adam Webb. Adam tells us how he got into trading, why he chooses to trade options in the energy markets, insight on how his options models work, automation of options trading, the importance of SKU, and last but not least, we discussed how he uses futures in his options strategies, and he gives futures traders a basic example of how they can use call spreads or put spreads to directionally trade their market. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Adam. Adam, how'd you get involved in trading energy options? Um, well, I got involved in 2006, and after I left Goldman's, I was, uh, I was actually doing uh, exotic options, OTC exotic options for uh, for yen, and uh, completely left. And it was really through the, through the basis of not being able to get a, a big prime to be able to independently market make something like uh, you know FX yen options at the time. Uh, and I, I kind of looked through the CME had uh, well that Nymex at the time before the Merck bought them had great volume going through. There was lots of volatility. Uh, and it just all the models that I'd built uh, and, and took with me um, were, were fitted really, really well. So it's kind of I kind of fell into it for the first couple of years, and it wasn't really until I started to kind of build up um, some method that I that, that I overlaid that and uh, I really expanded into the uh, energy side. Because you trade options, I'm curious. Did you start with? stocks, futures, how did you eventually get your way to options? Yeah, um, so when I when I first started uh, trading, I was I was it was futures on the life floor in London uh, back in the mid to late 90s. And and at that time, you know, life, the life uh, floor had just taken, I think they took the London options um, market as well, which would they kind of merge together in the mid 90s. And always the CME, NYMEX were just, you know, 100 times bigger. Uh, and options were just kind of dangled on the side, really, back, back in London. It wasn't really, there wasn't much going on. And slowly as the late 90s came in, the volume came about. But I was always futures in the pit. 
um, and just just didn't find it as comfortable as uh, as you know when I look back and think you know I, I like more time. Um, whereas the, the futures guys have, you know, really kind of back in the day were kind of in and out and uh, a market making at a rapid pace. There was a bit more thought going on with the options side. So when I moved uh, upstairs, as we called it, or uh, back to the trading room, um, I was more focused on the options. And we were also focused on then we came off exchange. So we were doing OTC currency options. They were all exotics kind of at that period of time, you know, a knock in and a knockout and a barrier option were things that were really kind of new and innovative. And um, I, I, I kind of came into it then. And then after leaving Goldman's, I then went back to on exchange. I guess you kind of go to the thing you first first did. Um, and, and, and that's how I find the energy options space, because I got the, stru the structure of uh, an exchange behind me. So I didn't have to worry about a big prime, but I could also leverage uh, the option space. Why energy options? Why not e-mini S&P options or other options on other markets? Um, at the time, it's, it's actually still true today, right? So. You know, you look at kind of some of the things like the currency options on, on, on the Merck, and they don't have a huge amount of volume. There's always prices, but there's not a huge amount of volume. There's a huge amount of volume in the mini, but then the spreads are tiny. There's not much to make there. There's not much Theo to take out of that. Energy just fit fitted perfectly. There's enough volume going through the pit at the time. There's been enough volume always going through Globex. If you ever kind of look at the volume on the energy side going through Globex, it's phenomenal. Um, and, you know, cons considering, you know, that the, the Merck's just got that front contract, that, that CL contract, and uh, they're, they're sharing the other side of the pie with uh, with ICE there. There's a huge, that go, a huge amount that goes through. So I looked at that. And also volatility, you know, you kind of you want something, you know, as a when you're looking at selling Vega the whole time, you you want something that where that Vega is going to move for you. Uh, FX was always you'd have to wrap it up as an exotic to uh, uh, to start to get some kind of punchy Vega in it. Whereas there it sat straight away with crude. It was fantastic. So it was perfect for me because I didn't. The market was very well saturated with all the the equity guys that they had that sewn up. There was just this little gap, and it it was perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting to me as someone who's not an options trader, I, I trade futures, we choose a market that really fits our personality. Like I, I trade the S&P, I really don't trade the NASDAQ. You know, I trade the 10-year ultra, I don't trade the 30-year. You know, I, I, I trade markets that I like the way that they move, they set up well with my strategy. And to me, listening to you as an options trader, it's more about liquidity. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 about kind of what what you can, how much edge you can take, and how much how you know if you all all the time we're looking at let, let's take something really simple like a, a sixty call in the in the uh, in the crude, you know if that's trading for in in the December if that's trading at sixty ticks at sixty three ticks it's a three tick wide uh, option my theo might be sixty one point two eight. So if people are paying me at 63 or even 62, I've got you know 1.48, 1.58 free ticks that I've built into my Theo, where that's that's that still exists. You know the the crude market still allows you to kind of exist in the in, onto those Theos, whereas that you you look at things like um, uh, the the equity stuff. There's 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 so many what I call join or me too 
uh, guys where, you know, somebody it becomes a bit more like a futures contract. You know, I, I know guys that are quoting options that don't even have a model. They're just if it if if it's uh, 2021 and there's 10,000 on the bid, they'll just join it and they just want to be part of that. And that that's great for the for people trading. But it's it's you for me, I, I look at it as, as, you know, how much theoretical value can I extract via edge? That's all I really care about. So it sounds to me as though the energy markets have a lot more action, we'll call it, in the options market than a lot of the other markets. And that's a big yeah. reason why you're choosing to trade them. Yeah, it's very active. And it's also it's also been something that uh, the CME, after the acquisition, has managed to make uh, very Globex rich. Um, what I mean by that is it's not just a lot of prices on there. You know, so some some products have just a lot, of, a lot of prices and they're tight prices, but nothing's really trading. There's a lot going through. You can click on any of the crude contracts, you know, even kind of, you know, uh, November contracts or even out to kind of next February or something. There's thousands gone through at every single strike on both on the puts and the calls. And and they've 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 created. Uh, a lot of activity, which creates a lot of gamma hedging, which which creates which which is kind of self fulfilling. It's it's building a bigger and bigger market. And one of the things I really like is there's still it's still we're still commanded by a physical entity. It it it, it expires into a physical contract, yeah. and there are people that actually require that. You know if. If there's if there's some guys that have got too much to go on a Friday afternoon in Texas, they will just dump volatility and do not care what price it gets hit at. That those those levels of a kind of excitement were only really seen, you know, maybe you could argue 2008, late 90s, but it still kind of happens in in a mini way every Friday because someone's got actual physical business to do, and that's what I love about it. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to talk about models. You mentioned that. You took the models that you built and then you went to start trading energy options. Talk to us about your strategy for trading energy options. Uh, so predominantly uh, for me, I'm, I'm looking at an edge around a price. So there is a, uh, the, the, you know, most of the kind of primary models that are out there, most people have got. And what, what you're looking at is at any point in time, if you, you know, we, we don't try and take a view so much, is at any point in time, if the price is five or six ticks wide, you want to make sure that, you know, your, your futures hedger is going to be able to get the contracts off when you get hit. You need to make sure that if, there, if there's some activity coming in, that you can participate in that because the last thing you want is to not be able to participate in what's going on. Um, so I, I kind of run uh, some different models. There's one is I have a futures hedger that runs on a, on a micro pricing model. So uh, it, it takes an accumulation of the, 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 the 10 deep of the ladder. I actually only use four. And then so whereas, you know, futures might be 2021. 20, or 2324 at the moment and but my price might say 23.43 so yeah, I know you can't trade the 0.43 but I'll do more on the offer than I would on the bid because I'm, my my micro pricer is saying to me that the actual true value is actually below 23 and a half so if it comes down to say 23.1 I'll probably only sh sh be able to clear on my hedge side at 22. So I won't even show a 23 bid. So I might go to 22, 24. That's what I'm sending back to my to my hedger. So that's one hedging side. So every time someone clips, 
you're hedged straight away. So that's primary model number one. Secondly is the price itself and how you're calculating what you deem volatility to be at the moment. So that can be, you know, you, you've got to make sure you pull out all of your calendar dates, your, 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 any U.S. holidays, any non-settlement days that the Merck's got. You, that that model is is where is where the core Blacker Scholes is 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 sitting in there, and then you've got we've got adaptations of that as well, which gives a theoretical value. So at any one time, I, you know, I will say that my my well, we talk about skew now, but but my skew path might be uplifted, kind of. 0.1.3 ticks as, as the as the strikes are going out a volatility i might say is a nice round 20 percent and i can i can portray what all those values will be out right across the skew right across all the vol paths and then anything that's miles out everything kind of feeds back and says you'll get clipped if you do all of these then we know we've got a problem so it's it's hugely automated you mentioned skew and i've yeah. heard you talk a lot about skew before Explain to everybody what skew is. So the easiest way of explaining it via a, uh, a radio without physically seeing it is if you've got, um, if you've got price along the x-axis, um, and that let's, let's use crude for as an example. So we've got kind of 20 30 $40, $50 of crude and price along the x-axis, and volatility is along the uh, y-axis. When the first kind of models were coming out in the 70s, um, when Merton and were, were releasing them, they worked out that the volatility of an option was constant. So no matter what the price, what, no matter what the delta was, that volatility was constant. So if you were uh, if you were looking at you know if uh, if you wanted a twenty dollar uh, put for crude oil for next September. And let's say the volatility is 20%. It will just be 20%, whether it's a $20 or $30 or 40 it will just be constant. So, But this was this clearly doesn't, A, doesn't compensate the buyer or the seller, and, and Bs clearly can't be right. Because if you, if something, if crude collapsed from $56 down to $20, I can promise you volatility wouldn't be 20%. So skew kind of came about by, by people wanting to be compensated for change in price. So it's kind of like, it's if you imagine you've got a mattress and when the first models would come out, this mattress was like perfectly flat. It was one of those memory foam mattresses. And as time went on, somebody got a huge bowling ball, but it wasn't like a 16 pound one, it was like a 200 pound bowling ball, and they just dropped it on that bed. It would, it would leave a big imprint and what would and you look at what the at the money is so like let's say for crude that fifty six dollar right now is the at the money that would be the lowest point where that ball makes a dent in the bed, and then you if you can imagine as you as your if you put your if that was froze that in time, and you put your hands into that into that gap that it is that that dent it created and you slid out you'd see your hands going up like they're going up the side of a of a dessert bowl, that's skew. Basically, people are lifting what's known as lifting the wings of an option to be, for a higher volatility to be compensated. So right now, if we use um, we, we use the S and P as an example because it's, it's a it's a good one to use. Is you know, I, if if the S and P went down to twenty four hundred, it can promise you that volatility wouldn't be fourteen percent. I mean, you know that, Anthony. It would be yeah. more like thirty five percent if yeah. we went down there. But if you look at the skew right now, someone's saying, well, look, I'm, I want to be compensated for that run down there. And December S&P 500s is actually already 24% there. 
So the guy's halfway compensated it. And he's okay to manage the variance of the of the sell-off. So Skew is kind of saying, well, if this did all kind of fall flat on its face, I need some compensation for it. So Skew's come about by bend, by bending those models to represent that that uh, risk on risk off model. So a an equity skew looks like a tiny Nike swoosh, where all of the all of the scare factors in the put side, it looks like the Nike swoosh going up, and the call side is just suppressed this tiny little divot. They call it a smirk rather than a smile. And then you look at something like corn, it's like totally the opposite. The put the calls are always lifted and the puts suppressed. Gold's the same. It's the polar opposite of uh, of the mini. Uh, and uh, crude's, crude's always put uh, put side risk. Um, so it, it looks a little bit more like uh, an S&P 500 um, skew, but it's got more of an upside call side as well, because if, if there's any political pressures, everyone wants the calls. Um, so that's, I hope that kind of puts a vision in people's minds of what, what SKU's really doing, because no one will just say, hey, you know, the, the kind of black swan event is someone going, look, it's, you know, a $20 crude for for 20%. You'd be buying them all, you'd be buying them till, till forever, because they'll eventually pay off 10,000 10, fold what you've paid. So people want compensation for that. So a $20 crude is actually already like 40%. Hey, everybody, I want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index futures, contract symbol RTY. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. I want to talk about the execution of, of these models. You said a lot of it was automated. Uh, are you point and clicking as well, or is everything automated? How does all of that work? So most, most of it's automated. So there's, if we talk, we kind of split it. So, um, you, with, with most people are uh, mass quoting. So that means it's kind of a cool feature. So rather than the, yeah, you can kind of Google this from the Merck. It's, it's uh, everyone should know this. Is there's an order that goes into the Merck for the futures. There's an order you can put in for options, but there's also something called a mass quote. It means it's not it's it's something you can change on a much more frequent basis that doesn't provide so much overhead into the Merck. And so mo- most people are are mass quoting uh, their options into that, and that that's automated. So I could just say right, um, if my model is saying something's worth sixty bucks. Of 60 ticks and I want one tick aside, it will just quote 59.61. So if someone wants a $60 call and it's 60 ticks, I'll be quoting 59.61. And if the underlining ticks up five ticks, it will just follow it. So it's always quoting that price and following it. And that's why you'll see, you know, if you ever watch a kind of an at the money futures, la- uh, at the money options ladder, let's say if you wants to look at those 56 strikes in, uh, in, in crude now, they'd be flickering around all over the place because that's what those guys are all doing. They're, they're quoting around their Theo. So that's, that's fully automated. If somebody then most, it's really important to note that most volume going through is not people just buying calls and puts, right? There's very rare. It's, it's, you know, it's 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 so rare that you might get the odd line of five, ten lots or something goes through. But most people, like if you came to me and said, "Oh, you know, I think we're going to have, I think the back end of the year, 
we're going to we're going to sell off. But I think in the run up to the next election, I think we're going to see we're going to see crude come back up. Right. That, that could be your view. You would come and say, I want to put this strategy on. So 90, well, 85, 90 percent of all the flow going through is strategy. So you might say, I want to sell some sixty dollar puts, some some sixty dollar calls. Uh, December, and I want to buy some December 20s for uh, $60 as well. What's the variance? So it's a limited risk strategy for you, but that's what most people are doing. And that goes through the RFQ, the request for quote model, which the Merck operates. And that's that. And that's most stuff going through there. So people build strategies. You can do some absolutely kind of insane stuff and just hit request for quote. That comes through. And they're auto quoted. So a lot of guys will protect themselves. They won't do things like anything above like a one by five because you're just kind of, you know, like if someone did a one by 20 and you get tricked into doing something. But most people will quote those. That, that That's the all fully automated side. You've then got the block side and the OTC side, which all clears through Clearport. And that, then you've got the brokers sort of scattered all around uh, the major cities. And they're, they've got kind of the bigger funds that are asking for, you know, how do we price this? Or, you know, what can you show us on this? And they'll, they'll build prices just like, you know, think back to the kind of the big stuff going through the pit. You'd have to line up a few of the locals to take it on. <laughs> um, and that's got what these guys are doing. They're, they're, those brokers are out there lining it all up and it all clears through Clearport. That's, that's cabin doors to manual. <laughs> yeah. What I want to try and understand is just how you go in on a daily basis and, and look at these these models, these strategies that you built, are they, are they running 24 seven? Uh, 20. Well, we don't, I don't quote all 23 hours a day because there's just, there's not, you can't get out of stuff. So it kind of, for me, it's about seven o'clock in the morning, London time, and then right the way through to close. So 10 PM my time. So that works. That's like 1 AM for you guys through till, to, to the, to the close. Okay. And then are you choosing different strategies to run based upon conditions. So you wake up and say, Hey, you know what, this is what we want to run today. Um, yeah. And if you are, so you say, yes. Okay. So how are you determining that? What is determining, you know, your reasoning for running that specific model or strategy that day? So the, the kind of the flip side is then we start to look at how, how bent the skew might be in, in proportion to how it's been in the last month, six months. So we start to look at things like the risk reversal. So a risk reversal would be the sell, you know, a 20 delta put against the 20 delta call. And then you, we chart that. Uh, and that might be, you know, to give you an example, if, if, uh, if crude ever goes, uh, calls bid over so on a risk reversal. So a call is worth more than a put. So 20 delta calls worth more than a put. It's only ever happened kind of, well, I've been doing this since 2005. I think I've seen it once. I think during the Arab Spring, we did it for about four days and then went back. So there, you you know that it's all, value has been completely wrecked at that point. You'd be absolutely wading in. We were moving the models to, to cover that. Um, so you, you've got things, you know, Friday tends to be the kind of usual vol crush. So you certainly don't want to be collecting too much. So we just, we, you have to make man, manual adjustments each day to the models, but certainly we're, we're looking, we, we use a tool um, called Quick Strike, uh, which I know is kind of the Merck use as well. And we're, we're always monitoring and, 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 and checking what our SKUs are, what our current volatility levels are, and, and making sure we're making all the correct adjustments so that we're not picking up. The last thing you want to be doing is, Getting, get, getting 
lifted for a load of Vega when, when, when it's low and, and given a load of Vega when it's high. We want to be doing the opposite, just the same as our futures traders doing the same thing. You mentioned on like a Friday that all of a sudden you could have a lot of order flow coming in, right? Somebody, you said somebody could just be dumping a bunch. Yeah. And I'm curious, how do you manage risk in those types of situations? So let's just say if one side that you're making a market for, just all of a sudden you get hit on a bunch of stuff. How does that all work? So, so where, so our, our risk is Vega risk. So we, well, we've, got, we've got two risks. The first risk is a technical miss or a, uh, the second one is a Vega risk. So let, let's look, let's use this example of this person coming in. He's just going to, he's just going to sell a load of puts. Okay. And when he does that, we, we get given the puts on Globex and we've got to immediately go and hedge that. So we'll go to the futures market and cover the delta. So we've got no delta risk. So the, the first thing that can happen there is we get we the micro pricer misses the hit and we, we, we don't get out of the more. So we might, you know, whilst we're um, whilst we're quoting 1.3 ticks of edge, we get missed on the uh, on the futures side and that, that wears out that loss. That that's covered that out straight away. So we've kind of any any built in edge is gone. So that could be a technical hit because the micro price are missed. But more but more importantly, to ma- what we're left with is Vega risk. So and that a Vega risk creates uh, a, a gamma risk. So for for me, um, you know, I, I need to make sure I, I I would always kind of stay within the boundaries of my Vega. So I wouldn't want to be more than kind of ten twenty thousand dollars per percent of Vega. So if we've given a load, we will I use other options to get out of that. So you've got so much more along the vol path to use. So if you're giving a load of uh, put wings, you might want to cover that. You might want to cover some of your uh, upside call Vega. So you, you can move things around. You've got a lot more options. Whereas in the future side, if you just clipped, you, you kind of, I'm, 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 I'm sitting on those now. And the only, the only way out is they come back for you or you just take the hit. We've got a lot more um, optionality to, 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 to manage that. So, but my, my prime, I've had a technical issue if I've got a, what I would call a futures risk. I, my main risk is a Vega risk. So when uh, my my clearing uh, merchants on the phone, they're not ringing and saying, you've got to cover those futures. They're saying, have you seen your Vega? Yeah, I get it. Even if you're getting hammered on one side towards the close, the model, the automation within the model is immediately putting hedges out. It's either buying yeah. options or selling options or buying yeah. futures or selling futures immediately. That, that, that happens. I mean, the, someone will hit and the bell will go for the cover before you can even blink. It's all done in Aurora before you even know, know what it is. The only time you get an alert to say, it will say, I only got 24 futures contracts out. I needed to get 38 out. Exactly. And then then that, that's a more of a head in hands moment. Than anything else, because usually you'll find that the futures have moved ten ticks, because that's why you've been dropped. So, so that's a bigger risk. But whereas I kind of don't mind, you know, if you pick up, a, if we, you know, if someone sells a load of a load of puts, you might it might suit against something else we want to get going somewhere else. How frequently are futures used as your hedges? Oh, well, most of the time. So let's say if uh, if if somebody's if somebody's going to let's say this guy's come in, this imaginary person, this, you know, he he's just sold all these puts and I'm sitting on them. Um, the you know I I, I want to make sure you know so I I will immediately hit the futures market if I, if it's outside of my variables. So we'll have a variables to say plus or minus fifteen contracts in in the front months. So 
at that at that point in time, if he hits for a hundred and they're all fifty deltas, you know, we, plus we're already long ten, we we will just immediately hit the future. The the key objective here is to neutralize the delta. That that's where your immediate pain comes from. So and that and that's so that that is job number one. So the hedger immediately will hit the futures market. That's why you see sometimes you know the futures guys are always that they they that they're, they're, the, the guys quoting pure futures only market making are looking to collect the, the, the option market makers business because it's an interesting statistic is that I, I think about, well, certainly on our hedger, 95% of every trade the hedger does, he's hitting a mark, the, it's hitting the market order. Whereas the futures market maker, the sitting, in, sitting on the, in the Merc, he's looking all day long for the limit orders to be filled. So quite often, the options guys are smacking his orders all day long. Because I'm okay if, if it's 21.22 in the market, my micro price is saying it's 20, 20, 21 and a half. Someone hits me for puts. I could, I, I'll just hit the futures market, no problem at all with a market order. I don't care. It's that futures guy's problem then. I don't care about that. I want to neutralize the deltas. So my, my, the risk I'm in the market to manage is volatility. So I want to neutralize out all the all the deltas straight away. And then just go right. I've got five thousand Vega Vega lots, Vega percent. Sorry, five thousand dollars of Vega per percent. That's what I need to manage now. So okay, then I can kind of think about. I can move the model slightly. So okay, so lean onto the lean onto the calls, and we'll throw some out there. But my immediate thing to get rid of is dump those deltas. Whatever way you're looking at it, don't be carrying deltas. A lot of what we discussed today was very high level, and not for the beginning options traders. So for the futures traders out there that are interested in learning more about options or potentially even trading options, yeah. can you give us a few things that we should maybe pull up on our platform and, and keep an eye on? And also, because we as futures traders focus a lot on directional moves, can you give us a basic options trade example of how we can maybe trade a direction of the market using options so good question so if you once you kind of got yourself set up and uh, you, you're you're looking at options or you've got the capability just keep keep things really simple around call spreads and put spreads um uh, and that for, for me you know their their strategy is that you, you come from the future space so you're hardwired to be thinking about direction Okay, so but what a lot of people will do, I'll give you an example of crude, is they would, um, let's say crude sells off $10 or something crazy and volatility spikes up through the roof and then people go, oh, I think it's going to go back up, but I don't want to buy it here because it has to kind of get hosed. I'll buy a call spread. So crude's come off, it's gone through 50 and he buys a 50-55 call spread. And whilst, you know, that might cost X, but the moment he buys that 50-55 call spread, he's right. And directionally, crude goes back up. And that's fantastic because you're now getting paid for the long 50. And But one of the problems that a lot of people come back and say, oh, I didn't make as much money as I thought. Because when crude turns around, volatility will fade away. So at that moment in time when you bought that call spread, you were actually – buying volatility at the top because as as you said same with the with the uh the s p as it, as it falls off everyone does the same thing they it, it comes off 100 handles they all go and buy call spreads 
actually something that's worth thinking about is if you're if you're confident of the turn coming, i.e. we've bottomed, what you see a lot of institutions do is, is they're selling put spreads. It's still a limited risk strategy, but you're selling volatility at the high and every day you're getting paid. And then the, then the turn comes. Let's say you're wrong. The turn doesn't come. It carries on going and you're still in a, lim- a limited risk loss. But the turn comes. You're, not only is volatility off, you're getting paid. So you tend to find that the retail guys think all the time of the direction of where they want to go. It's like they're flying an aircraft and they, they want to know where they want to land. A lot of institutions are quite happy to kind of look out the back window and just make sure and make sure there's nothing kind of chasing them. And that's that that's if, if I was going to give a tip to somebody, that's that's to think that way around rather than thinking always in the direction of travel. Think of the opposite direction of travel, but in a limited risk way. I like that example because I've experienced that firsthand. I remember I mean, several years ago, I was looking into, you know, dipping my toe into options. And I started off with just the basics of, you know, buying calls when I thought the market could go up, you know, buying puts when I thought the market could go down. And I learned that lesson exactly that you you mentioned. I I remember buying calls in the S&P thinking that, wow, the market just got clipped. I don't want to be along the outright futures here. Let me buy the calls. And I saw the market rally like 10 to 15 handles right away and my calls were at the same price. I'm going, wait a minute, <laughs> this yeah. is this doesn't make sense. I remember talking with yeah. my options friends and exactly what you just said is what they yeah. were talking to me about. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good lesson. Great yeah. stuff, we're not done yet. I have rapid fire questions next if you're ready for those. I'm ready. All right, everybody, our rapid fire segment is sponsored by Trading Technologies. Trade the global markets with TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now with integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. Try it now free at tryttnow.com. Adam, first question for you. What trader has influenced your life the most and why? Uh, I, I would say uh, Soros for me. The reason is he was, I kind of arrived in the market um, mid nineties, he was a kind of a, a superhero from the, uh, when he broke the bank of England and pushed the pound out of the ERM, uh, I've read all of his books. Um, and, uh, he's, uh, how he accepts a loss and how he manages a loss is an interesting, uh, uh, person. I also think of how he, uh, crushed long-term capital management after they, uh, asked him for money was, uh, certainly an interesting, uh, person. <laughs> What was one of the hardest things for you to overcome in trading? Oh, uh, I think the the growth of the retail market and how and how that's become a, a primary factor in in everything we do now. That's been a a real shock, you know, over the last even the last five to six years, there's so much more retail flow than I ever expected. The, you know, there, there are, there are now institutions that are warehousing that retail flow themselves and not passing it around. So that, that, that's from a, from a purely from a kind of, um, uh, personal mindset that retail flow is, has been a, a real surprise how quick it's grown. How has your trading process evolved over the years? Um, Speed, uh, I think 
certainly not trying to be part of everything. Um, you know, when you're uh, certainly young, I'm, I'm 42 now, I guess even kind of when you're 30, you kind of want to be part of everything. And then you look back and say, that was really ex exciting being part of that, but we made no money. So you sit back and be part of what's going to make money and calm time. Um, I guess when you're younger as well, you don't, all these things that older traders talk about kind of getting in the right mindset, all these kind of things, you just go, Ugh, what do they know? And now when you kind of hit 40, you're kind of, you think about that stuff a lot more. What is one attribute that you believe every trader should have? Uh, oof. I think you need to be, willing to put in the 12 hours a day and willing to learn there's, there's there's a lot of stagnation i think in the in the markets the where people just kind of in a way repeating the same process and it's an evolving beast and making sure that you're willing to to accept and learn there is there is no one hour trader favorite book about trading oh for me the bible which is uh option volatility and pricing by sheldon natenberg there is, uh, it's a bit dated now, but uh, the, that guy, you know, that you know, I don't think I don't think there's an options trader alive that either doesn't have a copy on their desk, in their drawer, by their bed, um, and yeah, that that that's you know, for for any options trader, that that's the bible. Some people might say dynamic hedging by uh, uh, Talab, but you know, for me, uh, Nathan Berg's books, country mile ahead. If you had to pick one profession other than trading. What would you pick? Oh, farmer. What's the best piece of advice that you received about trading? Uh, you'll be wrong more times than you're right. And however ca much capital you think you need, times it by two. If you could go back in time and give the younger you a piece of advice, what would you say? I, I think if I go back in time, it would be... Oh, I mean, in 2000, in the, when, when crude went up to $140, it was just tearing everybody apart. If I could, I, I, I knew it, I knew it, the biggest sell-off was coming, but, I, you know, I just watched that happen in front of me. And I even knew when the, when it kind of $36, $37, when it peaked for the backup to run up to 120, I think what happens is sometimes when you're younger or you're, you're, you're kind of, you're at the cold face of everything. You, uh, you you kind of miss that bigger picture. And one of the things that I've tried to improve by, by my mindset is coming, stepping away from that kind of crazy stuff all the time. Even just kind of how, how much I'm getting alerted for trades that are going on. You don't need to know everything. And uh, so that's, the, I would tell myself, there is more time than you think. If you had an elevator pitch me your edge, what would you say? Uh, I'd say you'll always make money. You can't fight skew um, because you're representing the right way around the overcrowded trade. And if directionally you're we're wrong, we're still we don't lose. So that you know, for me, everything's in the skew. The the maths is there. It's proven to me since you know 1996 when I was first introduced to it by uh, Goldman's. So yeah, that's that would be my my pitch. Last question for today. Favorite thing to do when you're not trading? Oof. Uh, I really love, uh, I love cycling and I'm really into kind of growing vegetables. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I'm really into doing that. So kind of, we've got fields and I'm really into that. 
Where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out? Uh, so if you want to see the kind of trades we're selecting, macrohedge.com and also we're um, uh, macrohedged with a D on the end on Twitter as well. So at macrohedged, um, but macrohedge.com, you can, yeah. Adam, thank you so much for coming on Futures Radio Show. Cheers, Anthony. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you have any questions or comments for myself or my guests, please visit futuresradioshow.com and sign up to be a premium member for free. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes.